All right, Hello. we're live. Hello, 17 people. <laughs> We've got a great show today. It's going to be one of the best. It's always one of the best. Is that their right, username, yes. 17 people? Is that you're just getting our hopes up and there's one person in 17 people? Uh, the account's going down. We've already lost viewers. Uh, uh, I'm going to join. I'm going to just join renamed up as, himself. As an anonymous user, like called a thousand users or something. <laughs> nice. Yeah, a thousand <laughs> viewers. <laughs> From Kosovo. Oh, that's I'm not absolutely going to register that on Twitch. Like, just <laughs> just join people's Twitch streams. One thousand viewers. <laughs> Holy crap! A thousand viewers just joined my Twitch stream. Oh, this is awesome! <laughs> I normally only have five people watching me. To Black Hills Information Security, talking about the news. I'm your host today, Ralph May, and I am joined by an all-star cast, as usual, for what I want to call the best show ever. We have Mubix. What's going on, man? Life as usual, and Ugh. of course, power outages and all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, that's why I still don't have your, your power's out on. a yeah. second time. It's more than just your normal like switch out a fuse or switch out a outlet kind of thing. It's my house has power issues and has since we moved in. It's just gotten worse. That's all. Gotcha. We got uh, Derek. Yes. <laughs> and like that, last... just like making your gamer tag last year's champion. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, we have Ryan the Shootist, who's going to be running all the magic and making all the uh, video effects yeah. and moving us all around. Just here to push buttons. <laughs> he moves us around? That's yeah, awesome. no, he can move us around. And yeah, it's, it's wild. Yep. See? Ooh. See? we need this is this my exercise for the day there you go yes it is that's how i nice. get around how many laps can you do how? during a show Amazon's yes, exactly. making me dizzy. so uh i guess let's kick this off with the first story actually we have a bunch of stories today to talk about i guess we'll roll in in no particular order do you guys want to do Facebook here? Facebook was hacked. Yeah. So <laughs> details are fuzzy, <laughs> but Facebook isn't good. No. <laughs> so 533 million Facebook users information was leaked on a anonymous form that posts leaked data. Actually, it's really, really easy to find. I'm not going to mention the form, but just note that it's uh, it's out there. Anyways, so 533 million users phone numbers? Name, gender, location, relationship status, hmm. Hmm. occupation, date of birth, and some email addresses were all leaked online. Not exactly sure where this data came from. I mean, it came from Facebook at this point, but we don't know like if there was a recent breach or how this data got acquired. And actually, Facebook has been pretty mum about the whole thing. I think they're just kind of like, this is a feature right now. But... Uh, <laughs> What do you guys think? I was going to say, are these the 533 million users that didn't set their permissions right? Yes, that's it. No, I don't think it was a scraping. I don't think it was scraping. It did say the data was from 2019 and it had been fixed. They fixed the issue in 2019, Facebook, Facebook said. So this is old 500 million data. This isn't you know 2020 or recent collection of uh, data. Yeah, I think... Egypt actually had the most with 44 million in the database, which is kind of interesting. How many Wait, users does Facebook have? Our Egypt had or? the most? 
Like, I know he has a lot of credentials, but I don't know. <laughs> no, I meant the country of Egypt. Oh, okay, sorry. Biggie, not Lily. Got it. Yeah, I got to clarify this here. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry, that was a little confusing. I did read on Twitter that uh, Zuck's uh, old cell phone number was in there. I think he had to change it after. <laughs> Hopefully he changed his password since, you know, was it two years ago when his password was 4Ds or 5Ds or something, right? So it looks like reading in the story, there was a vulnerability in the add a friend feature, which allowed the attackers to gain access to members' phone numbers. Oh, yeah. Obviously... Attackers are going to use this data for a bunch of different things. I, I think cell phone numbers are hard to come by. I can't imagine we're going to get any more spam phone calls than we already get right now. But <laughs> I could definitely see this database being used in more like targeted either SIM swapping attacks or other kinds of smishing. So sending uh, phishing via SMS to, um, you know elicit Wait, some access so you mean to tell me the message i got earlier today that i won some amazon earbuds is not legit oh it's uh, totally legit let me send you some earbuds yeah <laughs> let me let, uh, hold on hold on let me forward you a message to a you link know, that you should go I, one of the things that i think that has happened over the last few years is that i i don't really answer the phone when someone that's not in my contact list calls like i just don't yeah. answer anymore Actually, my wife was in my office earlier, you know, talking to me and the phone started ringing. It was a local number. And she said, aren't you going to answer that? No. <laughs> and but I ended up answering. She's like, you need to answer it. So I answered it and it was the vet. Right. Like they were yeah. calling to tell me the dog needed you know, stuff. And but I just I don't know. I, I've gotten so numb to some so numb to it. I don't even answer the phone anymore. Yeah, no, for sure. I think someone brought up the fact that uh, this has been out for two years so why didn't uh, maybe facebook didn't know that they had scraped this much data so it's just been floating around for you know back back channels possibly was, being sold said that it was sold for uh yeah that's right the spelling was amazon with the zero for those earbuds ah oh, yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> so uh they they said also in the article that it was the data was sold for thirty thousand dollars which i don't know i guess it kind of surprises me that it's worth that much? I don't know. I guess yeah, it is I a mean, lot I, of data. Back, I think that was back when it originally came out. It, it's now for free. Um, you can sure. go... Oh, sure, sure. I meant the original. 100%. Yeah. yeah. But back in the day, when I say back in the day, a couple of years ago, it was worth 30 grand. Maybe now it's just a little bit more in your face because it really is free and anyone can go grab it and not spend 30K, right? It's. I uh, guess for me, it would depend on who or who was in that dump. Like if... If it happened to be like, you know, Beyonce's publicist, that phone number or Beyonce herself or or those numbers, thirty thousand dollars is actually pretty low. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it's just, you know, there's there's always a chance that that list of users could be much more valuable than what you might th mm. initially think. Hang on one second. Grab so actually I, I did see there was another site where you could uh, go check to see if your cell phone number is in there and oh yeah. yes let's let, wait let me let me <laughs> put in my phone number into a website that has a breach information and so i can find out if but it, i'm it, breached yeah no but see it only required a couple things it required your phone number your date of birth social <laughs> and personal last name just a couple things in there, but they definitely could tell, me. yeah, if you were in the database. 
No, actually, that's not a joke. This like really doesn't oh, exist. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. And to your point, they, yes. Wow. <laughs> Don't do this. Just, you know, I keep telling my children and they keep saying that they, they uh, understand that I, I keep telling them the internet is a dangerous place. Do not trust anything on the internet. If it's mm-hmm. said to you on the internet, just assume it's false. Yeah, there, there's another site that uh, is out there. It's actually, if you enter your password, it'll tell you if it's been breached or not, right? But you have to enter your current <laughs> password. Password and, complexity checker? Yes, it's a password complexity checker, yes. You're going to send out that link for everyone later? Yeah, no, I really I mean, don't want I've it. I've done this on a phishing <laughs> engagement, right? Like, yeah. here, put your password in. You, you Look, we're not storing it. You can tell it's secure because there's yeah, an because we have, have the block with a little checkbox. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so... Great stuff. Let's move on to this uh, next one I got here. Actually, we, we'll talk about the Ubiquity one next. And what's interesting about this Ubiquity breach is that we actually talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago, I think. Anyways, for everyone who doesn't know, Ubiquity had a compromise with a third party. And that... Uh, that Wait, so, oh. sorry. You mean a third party of U- that Ubiquity employed... Yeah, was yeah. breached? Okay. It, it, no, no, no. So there was an that. issue. Hold, hold on. This, this is the way it was described. There was an issue with a third party. And as, you know, uh, something that you should, as a precautionary check, excuse me, you should change your password at Ubiquity. Okay. Well, so fast forward to just on um, Thursday, Krebs on security wrote an article about, let's just say an anonymous person who posted about the actual like events that had occurred and it sounded like that third party was actually AWS <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's priceless so, yes and so in addition the uh, article says that the the um they I, supposedly the person did the remediation right they were called into and they wrote us a whistleblower. I guess they were call, called in to help them remediate the issue. And they're kind of saying, well, it was a lot bigger than they made it sound. And the attackers actually got privileged access to the LastPass account of a Ubiquity employee. And sure. then in turn, gained root administrative access to all of Ubiquity's AWS accounts, including S3 buckets, all application logs, databases, user database credentials, secrets, and all single sign-on cookies. So... So they compromised a Ubiquity user who then the attackers were able to get into his last pass, his yep. or her last pass. And yep. then, well, of course, you know, if you got into my, you know, password manager, that'd be what I would call a bad day. It's a game um, over. But yeah. don't you have MFA on your last pass? Just asking? Like, oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, so, yeah. Like, so, but you, I mean, that yeah, I mean there's, there's ways to do it, though. Into it. I was just going to say there are ways to do it. I'm not exactly sure of if there's too many public ones for all the password managers. But I mean, here's the scenario, right? You get on a box, they open up their password manager and they unlock it because they're using it in the normal function. Okay. Well, when that happens, that key is in clear text in memory. Yes. And if you have written something to go find it, now there are some you know, programs to do this, one of them being KeyPass was one. There have been other ones as well. But anyways, if you can go find it in memory, you can pull that out. And then in turn, right, you'll have access to the database uh, in an unencrypted form. And most likely, you could probably just pull the passwords 
uh, clear text from there. But the big thing would just be getting the key, going from there, assuming they don't have two-factor. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could work that, right? I mean, um, yeah, two of the most sensitive things on my uh, computer are my screenshot repository and my clipboard, right? Yeah. Because I copy and paste all the credentials all the time, right? So, yeah, I do have two-factor on everything that I can turn two-factor on, for sure, but I still wonder. And I still get really paranoid, like uh, the other day, uh, right before the news, I just got an out-of-the-blue pop-up uh, saying I need to enter in my Microsoft credentials. And I, I, I started freaking out. No, I take it back. It wasn't a pop-up. It was uh, a text message that I got saying, hey, you need to, uh, here's, or here's your uh, Microsoft MFA key. And I guess I'm really paranoid because it freaked me out because I didn't ask for it. Turns out Outlook just kind of loses track of things, I guess. But, but anyway. Yeah, and I'm not exactly sure. Most likely, uh, to your point, Rob, he probably didn't have two-factor. Maybe he just had a strong password. We can all say, I hope, and it's more sophisticated than that, but you know that would be the easy route, right? Or maybe he had LastPass for Ubiquity and they didn't require two-factor. I don't, I don't know, man. Once the attacker was in, then they kind of had control of everything. And they actually tried to uh, hold Ubiquity for ransom, and they wanted 50 Bitcoins in exchange to remain quiet about the breach. Uh, they put in a back door, and then <laughs> I guess... Right, Ubiqu- so that, I can see behind you how much one Bitcoin is worth, right? Yeah, yeah. So. It's, it's, uh, they're, they weren't it's worth this much. It doesn't feel like a lot, though, right? Like, for people who grew up with with bitcoin being a, a a you know a baby thing uh-huh. right it, one bitcoin seems like nothing <laughs> i know it's i know it's 20 or sixty thousand dollars right now for each yeah. one like yeah. or something like that but like i think even like when i get older i'm gonna be you know crotchety on a on a couch somewhere <laughs> saying when i was young well i could buy a stick of gum with a bitcoin <laughs> oh gosh Yes, it, it, the, uh, the price of Bitcoins have gone down uh, in the extortion amount. <laughs> but I guess uh, 50 Bitcoins at the time was like 2.8 million. So they wanted 2.8 million to be quiet. Ubiquity did not pay, supposedly, and found the back door in their AWS account. So, I mean, it just sounds like they got owned pretty good. Told yeah. everybody that everything was fine. Don't worry. But I mean, you have to- technically it is third party, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it seems like to, to me, like the, the real thing here is Ubiquity wasn't quite as forthcoming as they should be. I mean, it's like a general rule in life, right? Like, just be honest and own it when you make a mistake. And that's not, I mean, like, they, they did put out a release, but you, you got to know that it's eventually going to all come out, right? Like, yeah, well, at least they didn't blame the intern, I guess. The, the whole thing, just being honest, the whole thing sounds like they were trying to hide stuff. They really got owned. According to this article, they got owned pretty good. And they had really full access to everything, not just like a third party got access. Because you got to realize that I'm pretty sure that most, if not all of their infrastructure is in AWS. And it's not like, oh, well, they were just sending emails from AWS, right? So there's a lot they probably got access to and, you know that uh, they should be more honest about it. And a lot of users, for example, I have Ubiquity gear as well, and you can turn on remote access to it and you can use Ubiquity's cloud to access your, to access your account. And this would have been compromised with that. So everyone's internal devices would be compromised with this as well. So 
definitely not good stuff. Ubiquity, do better if this article is right. All right, uh, let's move on to our next one. Uh, I wanted to talk about call. This this one seems so silly, but Call of Duty cheats being having malware. So <laughs> wait a uh, minute. You yes, mean the people who are writing cheats also write malware. No. Oh my god, it's wild, right? I mean, this is like the late nineties all over again, and getting wares right and like you know. yeah. Well, okay, so. The cheat industry is actually a very, very big industry. And the the business model is very lucrative, okay? There are multiple online forums where people are creating cheats for very popular video games and making lots and lots of money, okay? Now, there are also on these forums where people will give away free cheats or whatever it may be. And if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Or if you pay for it, it could be malware too. You don't know. In all of these scenarios, anytime you run these cheats, you got to disable your antivirus, take all the shields down. Like this is, <laughs> you're just, you're playing with fire and you might get burned. And most likely you will get burned. And in this case, they were uh, creating a um, cheat for Call of Duty the newer version of Warzone, and it had malware on it. So, you okay, know, so let's let's be a little honest here. All of the cheats for modern day games mm-hmm. are malware. Like yeah, they, 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 they are. That's be. absolutely true. You're absolutely right. I mean, absolutely. By definition, right? Yep. Like that's what mm-hmm. it is. Yes. Well, no, I mean, they have to operate in a very uh, in a malware method, right? Oh, no, yes. that's what I was saying. I agree 100 okay. percent. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Like all of the anti-cheat stuff is is getting to the point where like EDR is learning from anti-cheat, right? Oh, yeah. Like those those companies who build EDR systems learn more from anti-cheat software than they do from like any other industry. And one of the things about the cool, because I'm a red teamer, right? I'm going to say the cool techniques that they utilize for anti-anti-cheat is some of the blog posts that I love to read, right? So because it helps me be better at CCDC, because it helps me be better at red teaming, pulling apart cheat bots and code is worth the 10, 15, 20, 30, you know, $90 to pay for them, even if I don't have the game. Yeah, they are very advanced to your point. And, you know, they're constantly evolving them too, because they, it's like the continual rat race where these, um, was, you know. Was that intentional? The continual quote unquote rat yeah, I was just letting go. I was just letting go. <laughs> yes, dad jokes galore. Yes, I just love them, man. I got a whole, I got a whole app of dad jokes. No, so they, they, uh, they have to keep evolving to stay up to for these cheats to work. You know, a lot of times this is a paid subscription, and you pay a hundred dollars a month to just get access to the latest thing because they're always cracking down, so they're always continuing to evolve and send the new version out so that your cheat continues to work and not get detected. Like you said, it it's definitely where the most advanced in-memory evasion and access to the lowest level possible to continue to hook that game and get it to do what you want is happening, right? Um, you got to get past your AV and you have to get past the anti-cheat. Oh, like, because, you know, I, I've, I've been playing Apex with uh, Apex Legends with my daughter, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've just came to the realization that I'm old and I suck at video games now, but yeah. I do swear that there there must be some cheating going on occasionally when I see, <laughs> like, there's just no way that somebody, you know, killed me as quickly as they did 
like sometimes, right? It just yeah. But so I just assume that cheating is going on. But yeah, I didn't. I'm. I would not pay a hundred dollars a month so that I could, uh, you know, be the best at a video game. That's uh, it's it's wild too. So like the way they work, the way some of these cheats work is they'll like they'll have an instruction, like a huge like sets of things to do to make sure your system will run. And because these are pretty low level. Even the version of Windows that you're running can affect uh, whether this uh, cheat causes the game to crash, right? That's really the biggest problem with cheating is that because you're hooking this and you're doing unintended functions, the, there's a high probability the game's going to crash. Right. So they're basically hooking in at such a low level on the Windows API that it's yep. like, I'm not saying it's you know, like kernel level or something. No, but it, no it's, like, it's like API, like, wow, because yeah, that's... yeah. And so what they'll do is In like <laughs> one one uh, one thing is they'll make you put the malware on or the cheat on a USB drive and plug it in so that it doesn't so none of your like you're not scanning your system. You plug it in the USB drive. Check this out. Right. You plug in the USB drive. You run the cheat. The cheat goes all in memory. Right. It's all in RAM. And then you unplug the USB drive so that any scanning that the game's doing in the background does not find an on disk presence of the cheat so while you're playing the game you're hooked in memory it's running but now the uh, game developers have to look in memory to find it you know wherever it's doing whatever you know uh, functions and how it may move you know to hide itself again it's advanced malware but <laughs> the article though talking about the fact that you know obviously free cheats watch out and then you know that this malware was hooking to do malicious actions no surprise there too and arguably fair game that doesn't mean that it's right what they're doing i'm just saying that like you're playing with fire man every time you uh try to use cheats and anyone could be malware in my personal opinion like malicious so, malware outside of giving you cheats so using the cheat is not against the law installing software unbeknownst to the user who's downloading is right uh -huh. so yep. it's i would push back on it being fair game morally oh. morally yes legally sure. no hmm. yeah I, I would definitely agree that uh you obtaining some software and running it on your computer doesn't violate the computer fraud and abuse act you might violate your agreement your end user license agreement with the company for the game that you're trying to play and their recourse would be to ban you from playing it i suppose but you're right once you install a remote access trojan onto a computer you've crossed over that line into where that's illegal yeah no i actually I'm, to be clear i'm not arguing that what they're doing is not illegal okay and in fact the oh, you're game just saying serves you right that's yeah, i'm just saying you, you right should be you shouldn't be surprised <laughs> if surprised. this happens that's all what i'm yeah. saying like just be prepared. Don't, don't be shocked, okay? This shouldn't be the moment where you're like, I can't believe them. I trusted them. They were like family. Uh, like, so you're this saying is not play, it. play stupid games, win stupid prizes kind of thing. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Do your own homework. I mean, even though in this case, it's so ridiculous to be like, oh, yeah, I checked it out. Uh, I definitely reverse engineered this cheat, and it's, it's definitely not malware. <laughs> Fun stuff. Cheats are out there, and... It is to um, Rob's point, advanced malware, and it could probably be malicious. Not all of them are, but they all are act like malware to make uh, cheating work. So, so real quick, Derek, you said you wouldn't pay a hundred dollars for some cheats um, to cheat at a game. I will counter that with: Would you pay a hundred dollars to get advanced malware that you that 
you can research every single month. Oh, um, bucks. Absolutely. Like, yeah, right. That's, that's a different motivation. No, yeah. I was talking about the motivation to actually do uh, do the cheating. Right. Like, I don't know, I guess I just wasn't brought up that way. But, you know, to do the research to uh, uh, further my tools, techniques and procedures. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a different story. So yeah, I, the, although I might counter that with, I would spend John Strand's money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say that there are, there's a, a cheap framework out there. I don't want to name it. I'll, I'll talk to you guys offline, but there's a cheat framework out there that you get like access to a bunch of different game cheats for the hundred dollars. You get access to like, I think three or four at a time and you can unsubscribe every month to the different cheats. So because I don't own any of the games, I don't mind unsubscribing to them. And I just switch back and forth between them. Just to just to look at. Oh, the... to pull them apart. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Just to see what it's doing. I'll tell you that some of the and I'm partial to Overwatch just because I, I like it as a game. But um, some of the Overwatch and Blizzard cheats out there are far and beyond anything I find for Steam. And so. Those are the ones I tend to subscribe to. Yeah, uh, I, I know that Blizzard is like legit about cheating. Like they actually have a pretty decent program to find yeah, cheaters. They were, they were one of the first companies that basically made a world economy out, yeah. out of a game, right? Yeah. Like that, I mean, so they probably had a vested interest in hiring those people to help make those so, anti-cheat. So hold, hold on. Here's a hypothetical question. What if, okay, there was... Uh, again, a site or a company or whatever that sold loaders or droppers or whatever for red team engagements, like the kind of the same thing, but not cheats. Would you subscribe to that? Like what, you know, would that be okay? And, you know, would it be worth it? I mean, it depends on how successful it would be in staying ahead of, you know, the defensive companies. Like if it was worth, like if it could be proven to be worth like, hey, this dropper is not going to get caught. Because I mean, it's going to get, when you use it, it's going to get burned, right? Like it's going to, you know, so I feel We all know that the signature and the technique are two different things, right? And a lot of times the techniques really live in the signature is what we're kind of evolving, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So would, I mean, I'm going to go back to my previous statement. Yeah, I'd spend money for it, but I'm probably more likely to spend John's money for it. Oh, well, for sure. Regardless, (laughs) I'm just saying, is there value in that? Because I I know that there was somebody recently who, another security company that is now releasing their tool set. And this actually segues, I, I didn't have the article for this, but this is great talking anyways. So they want 40,000 a year to access to their tool set. Okay. And the big thing was like, oh, this is cool, but 40K seems a little steep, though, right? Yeah, that seems a little more. I mean, it's not even close to steep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my personal opinion, it seems close to steep. In the grand scheme of like the world exploit economy, yeah, no, probably not. (laughs) I'll tell you from experience, most of the most of the frameworks outside of Metasploit cost anywhere between 80 thousand to two hundred thousand core impact immunity i think core impact did come down in the last couple of years to more like 10 to 15 but i mean still that's like per seat per year it's not i mean that's not like your whole team could use it for that right so yeah i agree with you they're not they're not cheap at all this is uh i put the link in the chat there both the public and the private one too but uh it's uh outflank 
they're selling their security tooling. And I guess it includes their, it's got a bunch of things in there. So it has a payload generator, office intrusion pack, a stego loader, a lateral pack, uh, a stage one for your C2 and hidden desktop. So I'm not exactly sure all the intricacies of that, but that 40,000 includes access to all of those tools inside their kit. And then the obvious updating of those the continuous, you know, when it gets detected or something that stops working, they're they're working on it or keeping it going, right? So, and I actually had a pretty long chat with another buddy of mine who is on a red team as well, like whether that was worth it, whether 40K. And I was kind of on Rob's side, I kind of think that the price is not too crazy depending if you're charging other companies to do it and like where you fall in this line of like, you know, building because the thing that I really started to, you know, to think about in my mind is that the dev's not free. None of this is free, okay? So when and then it got into a bigger topic, which is about security tooling on the internet and you know all this free stuff that gets oh, put out there. I mean, I don't think you're going to hire a developer for forty thousand no. dollars a year that's going uh -huh. to be able to pull all that off, right? Because nope. you need more than one anyway, right? But let's just say that you had one. You're, you're not you're not getting that quality of work for forty k a year. You can't hire a guy who could build all of that for forty k a year. Hell no, hell no, dude. Like. That's not even close. And so th I guess that's the, the, you know, the business proposition. That's the, that's the value proposition you got to look at. You know, sure, if you're just using this to play around with stuff or you're not using it to have an advanced team, then it's probably not worth the money, obviously. But if you are and you are running a bunch of more advanced red team operations, then this helps get you going into some of those ops, right? It speeds up some of that execution time and avoid you having to hire dev. So it is a thought and you know it's definitely something to think about. I think that calculation's a little off just because if I'm paying $40,000 that's for a finished product that I think that a you know 200,000 $300,000 dev can do in 2 months. Uh-huh. Right? So you're only paying 2 months of their salary. So sure. $40,000 sure. might be on. I'm saying also is that Raphael Mudge, he pulled that price point crazily down. He, um, we're, we're, what's the word when you're given too much candy or stuff uh, for free? Like we're spoiled. We're spoiled, spoiled by <laughs> Raphael Mudge because he pulled that price point so far down, right? Sure. Cobalt Strike was, was super inexpensive and super effective. And that's why it blew up. All of the other frameworks that were way up there in price like $100,000, $200,000 or whatever, had to come down, just like Derek was saying, because of the market. And so I think that $40,000 is a good price point because the market is so low right now. But how, I do think that it could, they could absolutely charge more. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about pulling. I mean, I think, yeah, proof of concept off in two months. I, I believe a developer could do that for sure. But there's more than just like, it's not two months and you're done, right? Because there's going to be ongoing like maintenance with it, and there's going to be ongoing like stuff. I don't, I don't think you get a finished product in two months, even six months. That's why I said a year. Okay. And you know, I was just, I think that you know I've worked at software development shops before, and it always seemed like it took a lot longer than it should have. <laughs> I mean, just saying. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, actually I agree with you. Any like software dev stuff that I've been involved in, and I'm not even talking about stuff that I've even 
written or programmed, just just like even side, just being in the conversations about it, the timelines are always way further yeah, out. I mean, right? even in six months and you have the working prototype out of the door yeah. and then you have some dork operator like me who used it in some kind of way and broke it. And you're like, ah, oh, crap, what the heck? How did you do that? Right. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I do see you. I do agree with you on like on the cobalt strike thing. I do think we're spoiled and I think that we're entering into a time where we're going to find out how spoiled we were. Right. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely 100 percent agree there. Yeah, it, it really does come to the market, too. If there's nobody out there making a competing product at that price level, right? Or somebody moves out of that market or stops making that item at that price level, everyone else is just going to capitalize that's left and charge way more, right? So, so like in, in chat, Zero Cool, to answer your question, um, the, the, if you're talking about the, the 40K framework versus like some of the other frameworks, the appeal of it would be is that pretty much on a, on a red team style engagement or any kind of in, in you know engagement with a sophisticated customer like metasploit i wouldn't even bother to use it honestly i don't even bother to use cobalt strike unless it's heavy heavily modified anymore i've moved on to other things some stuff that we've developed internally like i just it's all about getting caught or not now that's I'm talking about a red team engagement if it was just like an internal like a standard pen test or even like an assumed compromise test Maybe not so much, but when a firm is hiring you to pretend to be the sophisticated bad guys, you you kind of have to bring the A game, right? And I, I mean, I'm not knocking on Metasploit at all. I'm just saying that I can't remember the last time I used any anything out of Metasploit that didn't get busted by some security product. Sure. None so, of that stuff is turnkey. I mean, there is a ton no. of C2 frameworks out there nowadays, too, like a ton. And, you know, some of them are a little bit better. Some of them are, are worse. But, you know, that, that's what we talked about, the stage zero loader, just getting initial shellcode to run on a system without detections. A lot of that stuff is not in any of those frameworks. And you're not getting the stuff that you get out of box in all of those frameworks is signatured 14 times over. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And so th that's, that's what they're talking about, the more advanced piece. It's actually getting that hook, getting the first beacon or you know shell without getting detected getting that first fish or some other kind of execution from the user to run no problems right that is hard oh my and god it is so hard <laughs> like mind-numbingly i mean it used to be easy it's only here recently where it's in my opinion recently being the last couple of years where the, the game has just really changed and you know i honestly thank microsoft for that and uh defender and pushing the game that's my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely been a lot of uh, pushes in different directions with the EDR vendors and just overall the industry. I mean, how many times can we pen test a shop or do something and just totally wreck them and not them not take it to heart or not try to improve the security? And maybe it takes a couple of years, but eventually they just start listening to what we're saying or you have other companies that just take everything to heart. And it does not get easier. It gets more sophisticated. And so when you do end up with the repeat customer who's looking at you to come in with the most sophistication that you can to, to, to simulate a sophisticated threat actor, you're going to have to have custom stuff. And that's just where we've moved to now. So the days of posting it online and being like, this is great. It's going to work for everybody is, is pretty much dead. So I mean, it, it, the signature thing, it actually, it, 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 it makes me chuckle sometimes, right? Like I have a coworker who wrote, you know, a hundred lines of, of C sharp that basically enumerate shares. It, it got flagged and I just, I, 
uh, you won't run anymore, right? And, you know, <laughs> I think it's funny, right? Because I just envisioned that, you know, there are groups of folks who are just following a bunch of security researchers and people who go post things out and they write signatures for it. And that's their day job, right? Like just basically writing signatures for GitHub projects. Yeah. So, yeah. Most of the most of the frameworks to build out these tools now report a bunch of telemetry about what's being built and like we'll send it off to GitHub or or to Google or whatever. I'm sorry, no. Microsoft. And so one of the big things for CCDC is because Defender is default on all these systems, building out malware for CCDC, you have to be super disconnected from the internet <laughs> the entire way. Yeah. To even to even have malware that's going to work, because we've had we've had instances where we spun up Cobalt Strike or whatever for CCDC, had custom profiles, had custom builds, and the first hour that it was online, there was a signature for it in Defender, like, and the teams uh. didn't do anything. Like, there the the blue teams at at CCDC are supposed to be the ones doing the de defense, and they yeah. didn't do anything, and there it was just popping us out of everywhere yeah. so yay machine learning yeah, <laughs> yeah um, no all of that so that's funny i uh i recently copied over a backup drive to another drive to have an, another backup and i you know copied my work directory over not even thinking and kind of you know walked away from the computer computer came back later and i don't i lost count of how many notifications i had from defender about we don't know what this is, and you have real-time protection turned off. Do you want to submit it to us? <laughs> I mean, there must have been thousands of them. Oops. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely live in a censored world or, like, a, a bunch of sensor, sensors grabbing all this stuff. Like, one of the ones so I talked about. Yeah, right. One of the ones I talked about in my class with phishing is that Google actually will parse your URLs, every URL that you visit, looking to uh, identify whether that site could be malicious or not, okay? And it uses yeah, whatever machine learning or whatever scanning algorithms to take that. And it uses everybody who's using Chrome is participating as a, you know, a scanner out there. And every site that they visit, Google eventually will flag that. And so that in the browser, Google can be like, oh, I seen this, I've seen this URL, it's malicious. We're gonna put an extra warning in front of this browser. So when you're building your fish, you don't even wanna use Google, it, it's nuts how many of these things are doing this in real time and how fast too. I've seen it happen where I built a site, it had a login and Google had identified it inside their safe browsing within like a couple hours. So it, it sucks, man. But we're all just going to be building malware well, offline. No, it sucks for a small subset of people for the vast majority <laughs> of everyone else. They're like, benefiting for sure, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the next article I had was um, about another... <laughs> Water system attack, <laughs> water plant attack. So I, I guess this is a thing now. But all right, so the first article was uh, from Florida, and there was an attack on a, um, a water purification system, I believe. And when we talked about that story, they got in via TeamView or whatever. So they, I guess they never caught that guy. But I guess somebody else decided to do something like this, and they got him. They got caught. So they supposedly logged into a uh, I can't remember where it's at here I was looking at an article it was a uh, water treatment facility in uh, it doesn't say uh, Kansas yeah Kansas there you go so anyways it's a water treatment facility in Kansas and they got access to it and they started to change some of the chemicals I guess and they got caught so 
is this the new is this the new uh, ransomware now? We're, we're gonna, water treatment facility plants. They're just we're taking them down. Are they soft targets? Is, is this not. where we're going? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I was gonna say God. I, I really like to drink water. <laughs> I, I mean, it's yeah on my list of things that I really like to do. I mean, critical infrastructure, I feel like, is kind of behind the times here, especially when we talk about industrial control systems, right? So SCADA. Um, um, yeah. I'll, I'll push back there. Go um, ahead. It's behind the times digitally, but physically, it's not. Every, every industrial center that I did a test for when I worked at a company that we did plenty of them for, they had so many physical controls because there were, you know, they hired some, you know, not every operator over there was, you know, a genius or a chemical engineer. So they had so many controls that your Uncle Bob could could be or, or you know, Homer Simpson could be at the <laughs> at the controls and not have to worry about anything going wrong because all of those controls have been in place for years and intentionally there so that they could hire the least the least uh, skilled operator to handle it for the day right yeah do shift work and so all of those controls are still in place they still do it a fantastic job and that's probably what caught this issue right was sure. an, an alarm went off going hey yeah, wait yeah. this is well, not how this, this is supposed to work. be right like an actual <laughs> yeah. physical alarm right like yeah so like i i think that makes me sleep better at night right but i will also say that you know, one of the things that, you know, makes our society, our you know, Western civilization, Western society great is like the decentralized nature of it. But it's like terrible for this kind of thing. Like if you have a municipal water, like I've, I've done, you know, tests for municipalities before, like small cities, and they just don't have the budget to fix a lot of this stuff, right? They don't even know in a lot of the cases. And I just wonder, like, you know, our, our water and our power plants on a smaller scale where they weren't necessarily designed to be in 2021 right <laughs> um and then you know they have to get remote access you know set up and they do something like you know hire some local it guy who comes in and sets up team viewer and they all share like a username and a password and they expose it to the internet and that's like okay job done right and that's obviously not the way to do that and i just wonder like how much of this kind of stuff is 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 budget restricted and i don't know how you go about fixing that like uh, in mass right Sure. And I think to uh, to Rob's point, we, so he, he talked about the fact that, you know, these uh, SCADA control systems and these other like industrial control systems, they have a lot of safety checks in there because they're dealing with like life and other things. And, you know, to put the lowest common denominator as the operator on these devices so that, they, you know, they can operate and we can know immediately if something's gone astray. Right. But I think that what I talk about when I say like low levels of security sophistication is that a lot of those systems don't have end and to, to their point, kind of on purpose nowadays, they don't have any kind of like real good remote administration or it's very dated and the security around those systems was from a very, very long time ago, right? And as they've evolved and now we need that operator to work from home, we've had to find weird ways to make this all work, right? And that's where the security, I think, is you know, coming into play, right? We have these systems that are designed to be safe as they operate and not require anyone, you know, super intelligence to operate them. But as we try to turn them more digital in a way or access in ways that, that we had never really anticipated, then that's, I think, where these problems yeah, come in. I, you know, I guess I kind of forgot about that. Uh, oh, yeah, you have to work from home too, Mr. Water 
plant safety yeah. <laughs> operator. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. how else did they get access to these systems, right? It's I not like they, they kicked the front door down and, like, you know, went in there and started turning knobs, right? So, I mean, obviously, they have some remote access to these systems. Now, to your point, whether they should or not, that's a great question. But if they're going to anyways, then we need to look at how we secure that. Every water treatment plant that I've been to, they would never have someone work from home because it's usually one or two people inside of each area and they can very easily control that. It's not like an office building. You have very few people on purpose going around the facility. You might have some security guards. Like there's a reason that security's tight there already physical security like there's a reason like this is again going back to its life right it's uh uh you know um i hate words (laughs) loss of life there's regulations federal and state regulations that put security around these things already the problem i see as well just like you were saying ralph is that as the newer generation comes in, they're going to be expecting iPads and remote administration and, and all this digital stuff where everyone who was older, who it's have been operating, man. <laughs> operating these things, you know, by hand <laughs> are absolutely happy with how it works. And there's yeah. a lot of benefits to how it works. And I, I'll tell you that dealing with bug bounties for these things too was hell because all the researchers would be patch this now and you'll be like uh it's a water treatment plant um <laughs> let's do it in production <laughs> right like we're not going to patch this in 90 days we're going to patch this the next time we have a new flow control which is in four years yeah right mm-hmm. and so all i'm saying is like the security of these things are actually really good if not if it's not digital and stuff we understand it doesn't mean that it's not really good security right now there might be a net cat listener out there that someone can get into but like the fact that both articles that we talked about never actually resulted in any bad stuff happening to humans is an testament to the fact that these the security physical and otherwise manual and otherwise is really good at these places security in depth <laughs> i'm sorry i had to so it's it's those alerts that are uh, saving them right you know and maybe don't all need remote access to this little knob that hardly ever needs to get turned or changed i mean i'll take remote alerts but maybe not like oh let's turn up the chemical in this yeah there should not be right access at all yeah Um, we we fought that fight uh previous company i worked for quite a bit about having ipads and other types of knob turners as apps you know like you can find apps on the apple store for skata stuff and Mm -hmm. it's super scary because sometimes they have static URLs and IP addresses they talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, Default pens. Yep. And but the thing that we pushed really hard for is read-only access. Yeah, for sure. All right. So no more hacking water facilities. <laughs> no, we're probably gonna read another article about a water facility got hacked. But speaking of the next article, uh, Rob, I think you had one. The Mac OS stuff, right? You want to talk? Yeah. About that? So we all know that Macs don't. And I'm stealing Derek's joke that Macs don't get viruses. That's true. Um, they don't. I added on to his joke that <laughs> instead of viruses, they get text files. And so this uh, CVE for macOS basically allowed an attacker the ability to send a text file over to a 
like via fish or whatever, essentially because the text file in Mac loads up in a reader that has HTML capabilities to render, when you open the text file, it would render the HTML and you could do all kinds of file pushing and, and iframe and all that kind of stuff to send data from files on disk over to over to your system and it you know quarantine or i'm sorry gatekeeper didn't care essentially i probably would have never thought to email in a text record or a text file to someone on a mac and how much effect this would be and apparently going through this he he got stuff to include like amazon aws credentials other API credentials, passwords that were stored all over home directory because a user's like gatekeeper doesn't care about your home directory. And so you get access to home all you want. So it was, it was pretty nasty and it was just a freaking text record. Yeah. yeah there, you got Etsy password right there's there. There's a, there's a whole lot of fail going on here. Right. There's <laughs> like, is this is this uh, starting with why work? does the built-in text editor need to render a URL? I mean, because if you're using a text file and you can't copy and paste the URL into a browser, like I just I I, I like text files aren't for you, right? Right. Like, like, <laughs> oh man. Well, so uh, well, I had two two questions. One is this still valid? Like, can you still exploit this? I mean, I guess it's depending I mean, on the patch. You have it patched, I would assume so, right? So. What they patched was the ability for the HTML to cause the CSRF um, or for the, not CRS, uh, for the ability to have the HTML access and push local files. You can still have it load local files. It just won't send it to a remote host. So it's using, oh my gosh, what's, what's the flag? There's a, the header that stops that, but. Mm, so use WebSockets instead. No, I'm I'm kidding. Yeah, WebSockets, <laughs> they're my new... Oh, sorry. We'll talk about so when, when I tested this the other day on my own Mac, it still worked, but Ooh. it only worked locally. I, I couldn't get it to push to a remote system. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of the problems that Microsoft has had in the past with uh, RTF. You know, Microsoft Word will will do some interesting things like render. Like if you put embed an HTML link in, in, in Word, it'll, it'll go try and, you know, retrieve the contents of it. And I think that these are features that people don't really realize are happening in basic apps that they, like, I guess they take the functionality for granted. There's a lot of stuff going under the hood sometimes on that, that text editor. I even remember hearing one time uh, that uh, there was a, a, a vulnerability in strings and there was a threat actor that targeted some researchers or some uh, blue team members with their malware that they would trigger a vulnerability in strings when you ran it, which if you think about it is quite terrifying. <laughs> think about it though, a lot of the chat programs now have like rich text inside them where they're taking fonts or they're taking font sizing, HTML, they can render it and stuff. So it's actually... It's super annoying, too, when I'm just trying to copy something, copy and paste something in raw text, and then you paste it over to some chat program, and it, it, it takes over the font and everything from the site you, pay, you copied it from. You're like, son of a bitch. To go down this route a little bit, like you were saying, Ralph, I actually submitted a bug to Twitch, which was just a cross-site scripting in the chat. Uh -huh. And the cool thing about having cross-site scripting in a chat is that it loads for everyone who's doing <laughs> that chat, right? And there's... yeah. And there's, you know, thousands upon thousands of people watching Twitch. And 
the reason I submitted the bug was because I found one to do the, the do the right thing, but two to there was a bug that I found in Chatbot from Streamlabs, and so Streamlabs is has a lot of software around streaming and Twitch and stuff like that. Yeah. And Chatbot actually had what is it? It's not Elastic. It's um, the web framework for Windows and anyways. So it was using a the ASP.NET uh, stuff. No, um, Ang- Angular. No. Oh, it's oh, el- or, um, it's not Elastic. I know what you're talking about. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> words. Yes. I hate them. Yeah. No. Um, anyways, that that framework it was using for everything, and it had a bug where the debugger for Chrome, Chromium, or whatever it uses under the hood. Electron. Allowed, Jesus. Electron. Thank you. Yeah. So. Electron has a bug in it where the Chromium install that it uses to build out the web pages actually had the debugger turned on by default. So essentially this bug, this attack, you load up this cross-site scripting inside of the Twitch chat. It flags the bug in the Chrome bot that gives you code execution (laughs) on the streamer's system. Oh. Yeah, so... You could you could essentially target any streamer you wanted by attacking the software that was reading the the Twitch chat via and seeing the cross site scripting and, and triggering the bug. Nice. And they can start making bets operating. that they're gonna lose and then <laughs> Oh, and then killing the process? <laughs> yeah. Immediately go to malicious so thoughts. Your 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 browser's your new operating system, right? Oh yeah, totally, exactly, man. Exactly like John's been saying, browser's the new operating system. Yeah, I everything. So I mean, I can think of a bunch of apps right off the top of my head that all use Electron. Electron is just Chrome wrapped around for all the different OSs. So you don't have to write a multi-platform app. Yeah. And most of the time, it's just a web app anyways. And they're just based off of APIs. I mean, we have Discord, Teams. Uh, I, I would yeah. say most of the apps running on my computer right now <laughs> are Electron apps. If you want to check this out for your own sanity and see what's going on, Tavis Ormandy was, of course, released a tool called CEF Debug. CEF Debug. You can run it. It'll tell you what what Chromium or Electron apps are, are running on your system and which ones have debug turned on. And it will let you know which ones are exploitable, too. And that's how I did it. I used his tool to find out <laughs> that this, this streaming chat did it. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's hilarious. Bitcoin keeps dropping when we talk about some of these stories. That's that's, that's actually made my day. <laughs> you know, that's just it. We, we, we do this show to see if we can actually affect the market. That's why I keep the ticker up there. Depending on what we say, we're just seeing if, like, is it swinging the market any? No. <laughs> yeah, so, yes, the browser's everywhere. That is really cool, though. I'm definitely going to check this out. That'll be my next... Uh, yeah, uh, I I use it quite a bit on engagements too, just to see what if if I'm I'm talking if I'm using a like a a golden image from a client or a customer or whatever, mm-hmm. and they have a bunch of stuff running. There was actually a bug in a not to be named EDR system that was using elect uh, electron for their for their interface for the administration. Mm-hmm. It was just not accessible to the standard user. But the debugger still was. Mm. And so I was able to use this exact same tool, the CEF debug, to find that run as system essentially using the EDR. 
Next thing you know, you put cross-site scripting in the logs that pop up at the EDR vendor's computer and pop their systems. Uh, yeah. Let's, yeah. Stay, <laughs> off, let's stay on the legal side of things. <laughs> no, I, that's uh, something that probably is happened. I, I don't know. I know what I'm doing this weekend. Circle <laughs> <Cyril Cole> says. <laughs> Did we have any other articles? Uh, we're 12 minutes over time. Yeah, and that's I a good have, point. Let's... I have to go grill hamburgers before I have a revolt in my house. So. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't, we don't want your wife coming back in and, you know, Ask, yeah. yelling at you. I don't want to relive that. You mean yelling at us. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Asking if we're done yet. Yeah, exactly. The best part about that was when Erica came in shortly after to ask John the same question. <laughs> Those were the days. Well, uh, I guess that is it for today. Thanks, guys, for joining. Thank you, everyone, for uh, checking out the show and uh, hanging out with us for a little bit as we talk about some of the uh, security news articles. So uh, I guess, Ryan, you can take us out, sail us off in the sunset. Yes, this is Nubix from Hack 5.